started when New York Daily News reporter Kenneth Lee witnessed a car theft at a garage in Queens. When he followed the story, Lee was eventually led to the world of underground street racers who were converting their Hondas and Nissans into turbocharged war machines for doing battle on city streets at night. In the May 1998 issue of Vibe, Lee would publish Racer X, a look into the lifestyles of the fast and the furious, racers who added everything imaginable onto their cars but took out just one thing, a speedometer that might cause them to think twice before hitting the gas. Universal Studios optioned the film rights to the story, allowing it to sit for several years before deciding they would give it a chance. Universal's team of writers relocated the source material to the home and hub of street racing, Southern California. They turned it into a heist film that examined the bonds running through the illicit subculture. On a $38 million budget and released well before the height of the summer blockbuster season, The Fast and the Furious became an enormous hit, earning over $200 million worldwide. It changed the career trajectories for its stars, Paul Walker, who had up until then only had supporting roles, and Vin Diesel, who had starred in low-budget indie action movies and had a bit role in Saving Private Ryan. In time, the franchise would go on to become the highest-grossing property in Universal's history, with spin-offs, character deaths and resurrections, deaths of real-life stars, theme park attractions, and, of course, billions in ticket sales. But here, at the starting line, there's just a movie about one Echo Park family that gambles everything on race nights to stay at the top of the game. 30 Mile Zone presents The Fast and the Furious. Your tagline this week, live life a quarter mile at a time. It's actually one of several taglines. <laughs> I am your host, Scott Frazier, and this is episode 25 of TMZ, 30 Mile Zone. That is the LA Podcast Film Club. Together, we're making our way through the canon of LA movies, exploring representations of LA on film, and asking what those movies say about LA, Angelinos, and the filmmakers themselves. This used to be a subscribers-only show, but thanks to the support of our pass holders, it is now available every other Wednesday on the main feed, wherever you get your podcasts. LA Podcast is fully independent. That means that we rely on you to keep going. If you're interested in supporting us, you can join the Sepulveda Pass by going to thelapod.com, clicking the Support Us link, or by going to patreon.com slash lapodcast. It just takes $5 a month to help us keep going, this show, all of our shows, and our journalism. This week's episode, we are talking about a cornerstone in big-budget L.A. action movies. It is The Fast and the Furious, the 2001 version, not to be confused with Fast and Furious, as uh, one of my co-hosts today found out, which was a sequel eight years down the line. The movie stars Paul Walker as Brian O'Connor, Vin Diesel as Dominic Toretto, Jordana Brewster as Mia Toretto, and Michelle Rodriguez as Letty. So today I have two very exciting guests joining me. Allison Herman, the always fantastic culture writer of The Ringer, Andrew T, co-host of Yo, Is This Racist? What's up? How are you both doing today? I'm psyched to be here. I had the same uh, panic around 4 p.m. because I had watched the right <laughs> movie, but I was like, oh, shit. Why would they do that? <laughs> well, did you... So what streaming service did you rewatch this on? Um... 
It was on HBO, HBO. Go, right? Yeah, or Max, it is. Yeah, whatever. It's HBO called. Max now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. R.I.P. HBO Go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it went to the great. <laughs> it went to the great server in the sky. But my like first instinct, because it's a Universal movie, was like, oh, I wonder if it's on Peacock because I'm one of four people on Earth who pays oh, for Peacock sure. Premium. And they appear to have like three total Fast and Furious movies, even though it's their franchise, and one of them is called Fast and Furious. That's embarrassing. Right. They don't yeah. have the whole series. I don't... Either they don't have the whole series or their search function is so broken that it did not surface the whole series. And I <laughs> think way, both are equally plausible. A glowing <laughs> recommendation for the service. It's... I But if if I recall, I did not watch uh, Fast and Furious, but that is... That was the reboot sort of attempt, right? That was when like... Yeah, it was... So, I mean, this this is a, a, a franchise that sort of yeah. slowly became a cultural juggernaut somehow. Yeah. Uh, the, basically, what happened was Vin Diesel checks out of the this, this series yes. after the first movie. Um, and then Paul Walker is not in the third. The third one's kind of just like a spinoff. And yeah. then the fourth one, Fast and Furious, is kind of like a reboot. It's yes. where they're okay. like, we're getting all of the original yeah. cast back together. Um, and then the rest is multi-billion dollar yeah. record sale uh, or ticket sales history, I suppose. Yeah, because I, I know Fast Five is kind of considered sort of the where high water starts. mark yeah. a little bit. Um, yeah. It's like a different franchise at that point. Yeah. But it is, you know. Which I'm sure is a lot of what we're going to talk about today. But, you know, full disclosure, this was my first ever Fast and Furious movie oh, of any kind. <laughs> which, so you know, <laughs> I finally live in Los Angeles now. But it is truly shocking to watch it just knowing what the franchise becomes because it's unrecognizable. It is a completely oh, yeah. different mm-hmm. kind of Absolutely. movie. In that, like, I feel like what Fast and Furious is now is kind of, apart from the fact that it's not based on IP, is the mm-hmm. definition of, like, what movies are in 2021. It's mm-hmm. like a giant franchise. It's mostly international. It's super expensive, super big stars, etc. And, like, the original Fast and Furious is the epitome of a movie that could be made in 2001 and definitely would never happen today. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, they both feel very representative of their eras, even though they're part of the same I mean, it's, it's, it's like the, the scale in The Fast and the Furious, the original, doesn't feel small. Like, on its own terms, it doesn't feel small scale, but, like, nobody is dragging a bank vault through the streets of right. Rio. Nobody's going to, like, space or whatever the hell happens in the, in the more recent ones. Like, so, on taken on those terms, yeah, like, the, the franchise stakes and all franchise stakes have needed to become really large um, and we do definitely want to talk about that Andrew what about you do you have a, a history watching these movies oh yeah I have seen I believe all of them in the theater opening weekend even though I didn't like consider myself like a big fan until yeah. um, probably six or seven uh-huh. maybe I guess five five was like okay this is obviously amazing Um, but no, I would. I think in my twenties, when I lived in New York, I would just do this thing of like, I hate living here, and I will <laughs> go to the movie theater and just whatever's on next, I will see. And and I guess what this really means is they these movies have won the box office every like, yeah. time they've come out, pretty much. Because like I was just always like, oh shit, well, I guess there's I'm another one. Fast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so so that was like so I I've like I, I don't think there's any other franchise. I guess there is no other franchise like it anyway. But there's certainly nothing that I have literally seen in the theater opening weekend. Everyone like it's wild. Yeah. At first, I thought you were just gonna say I think I've seen everyone full stop, which itself would be very impressive and completist. But everyone opening weekend yeah. for literally 20 years. But, and, and, is... and like genuinely not really considering myself to be a huge fan. I was just like, oh, all right, yeah. And then it, it it's, literally... it's a couple hours of solid entertainment. Yeah. And it wasn't until I, I like did the math and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I've really, I'm like, I must stand for these in, in yeah. I'm like nothing else. You're, a, you're a diehard. So, you have yeah, been showing truly, up. So you've been showing up for the franchise like, like few others. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, would one of you mind that this movie has, as I was rewatching it again, before we recorded today, I, I realized uh, the plot for being, relatively simple and a lot of the reviews mock how simplistic or derivative the the plot of this movie is um they they really cram a lot into what is a pretty basic story would somebody mind just uh running us through the the overarching the broad strokes of of what happens in this movie in in a minute or two I feel I definitely cannot do it in a minute or two. <laughs> that's, that's fu- in that's 10 fine. minutes. That's fine. Take your best crack at it. God, okay. So, um, man, uh, Paul Walker. I can only remember him as Paul Walker. Um, for reasons that actually don't make a lot of sense in retrospect, is really trying to get in with the Toretto. He has a crush on Mia Toretto mm-hmm. and uh, really is trying to get in with the Toretto... Uh, not gang. They call themselves a, a team. team. <laughs> they make a really big the deal. Most We're not squad. a gang. <laughs> the only, the only um, racially diverse squad <laughs> on uh, camera at all. I guess the cops and the and the Toretto gang are the only people that don't use race as the only qualifier <laughs> for whether you can be in this gang. Um, and then he he's like a you know kind of a cornbread looking white dude mm-hmm. and uh, is also a, a very intense eyes kind of like eye fucking everyone in a really <laughs> unpleasant way for like the whole, whole first actually half. like in the first uh, in the first scene with him where the other guys come in and they're just like oh he's beautiful <laughs> like, yeah I'm glad that we had that on screen like, acknowledgement he's like real yeah but uh, it's weird they they make pains to show that he would, doesn't fit in, even though yeah. I think in a more straightforward movie, it would be he doesn't fit in because he's white. Uh-huh. But it's they have white guys in the yeah. gang already, so it's kind of weird. But basically, he doesn't fit in because he's white. He's kind of preppy looking, I yeah. guess. He but... has extreme boy band hair. Uh-huh. It's yeah. like two degrees shy of like Justin Timberlake yeah. ramen head, but it's absolutely <laughs> on the same spectrum. And I guess the other dudes are like distinctly working class kind of like, but he, so he, and he also works for this car supply place. Also, there's a cold open where a bunch of civics steal some shit off of a truck. They literally hijack a semi truck. <laughs> yeah, very weird. Sorry, a semi truck that, that is lifted high enough that an entire car can fit under it, which yes. is absolutely not like regulation trucking. It's so weird. <laughs> I will say, I feel like in later movies they 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 take pains to show that the Honda is so low. Yeah, that 
this would be plausible, I think. It's basically like a, a James Bond style. Wait, yeah, because <laughs> it would have to be like three feet high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so nuts. Um, and, uh, but yeah, the cold open doesn't connect to anything. And then we see we see um, Paul Walker trying to get in this gang. There's street re- racing gang. He challenges Vin Diesel to a race. The, he loses the race. Uh, but he and he bet his car. Mm-hmm. Wow, I really like. What happens next? I'm like, oh. uh, there is a chase scene. Where, oh yes, where Dom almost gets come. arrested. Yeah, they they like the the street racing community. Uh, like hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people, see like kind of no real problem with like blocking off several blocks. <laughs> uh, but then the cops come and everyone scatters because they're scared of the cops all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Paul Walker rescues Vin Diesel. Oh, earlier, was it? Yeah, he'd been like, I'm never going back to prison. Yeah. Which is uh, sort of crucial, but sort of not. Um, And then uh, having rescued Vin Diesel, gets in his good graces. I think, and then it's revealed he's an undercover cop. Yep. They reveal it weirdly late because at first, like you've already seen him working in the the shop. Yeah. So you're like, this is a guy with a job who has a hobby, which is street racing. Yeah. And then you find out that he's a guy with a job who goes undercover doing another job. And yeah. then on top of that job is trying to get into the street racing. And game. the undercover job bit is like, there's just a scene where it would like, the reality is they would be like, hey, remember I'm an undercover cop. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm the guy that you're like that flipped and I'm helping you be an undercover cop. I know too. Okay, great. So that's where we get the tie into the cold open though. Yeah, right? Because there's yes. there's uh, DVD players being stolen. <laughs> uh, Panasonic and, combo TV VCRs. So I... I, I I just don't remember. Did those at the time ship like with just like gold bricks on the bottom or like what? <laughs> there is a there is a moment where they're talking to the cops and they're like these three trucks were like one point five million dollars yeah, something this like last that. Truck was a one point five million. Or, and yeah. truly, that does very loosely. I did a little bit of back of the envelope math. <laughs> each of those, it's like, like twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, like each. Like yes. they have to be. There's like no way. Okay, this was, this was a truly amazing shit. Uh, I have a thought about that, uh, but I want to come. I want to come will, back yeah, to the I'm, mechanics I'm, I'm of their I'm sorry. Scheme. I'm being so. I'm painfully going through this because I'm like <laughs> barely remembering it. But thank you guys for no. I, the the twists and turns I think are essential. That's kind of all there is. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it's it's like what they they want it to be a white savior story, but they kind of <laughs> yeah. don't. I guess. If you don't consider Italians white people, I mean, <laughs> oh, no, but or no, wait, no, they're sorry, I keep forgetting that was a thing that was corrected. I did, I thought Toretto was Italian, they're Cuban, right? I or, think is that true? No, 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 because okay. there are other Cuban, there, I'm mixing up which characters. I, I they to be definitely Cuban. are, it's. I, it is so strongly implied that I assume it must be stated somewhere that they're not Italian. They're not white Italian. They're white South Americans. <laughs> 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 they're a different kind of white people. But, yeah. but I, it's like, it, it's so thorough. Like it yeah. has to be in there because that that's... Oh, or like, I wonder, they must lean on Vin Diesel's like actual... Um, ambiguous background and just like I'm a little of everything yeah. or something some shit like that like they almost have to anyway let's see so uh, there's a tangle with the Vietnamese gang yes. at this point 
um, which ends incredibly violently. But yep. the um, the Vin Diesel and and Paul Walker uh, start walking from the San Gabriel, the fake San Gabriel Valley, <laughs> a Vietnamese San Gabriel Valley, yep. um, back to, and then they get a cab at some point. Uh, that happened before. I'm all, all out of order. But basically, <laughs> Paul Walker's in the gang. This the the screws get turned up. Oh, and and they there's a big race upcoming uh, in the desert called Race Wars. Yeah. Um, which. I actually forgot was in this movie because the <laughs> time I remembered it happening was it comes back in, I want to say four or five when Iggy Azalea is the host of Race oh, Wars. Okay. That's and, actually so accurate. And it really Iggy Azalea is the host of Race Wars yeah. in real life. So it kind of bums me out a little bit because I thought that instance of it was the genesis of basically a joke because they were forced to put Iggy Azalea in the movie. <laughs> and I was like, that's very good. But now it's a weird thing where it's called Race Wars. Everything about the movie is very racialized uh -huh. except for they don't do anything with it in a very weird way. Yes. Like, no one's like, it's called Race Wars. <laughs> it's like, it's just I did accepted. find out when I was doing some basic research about this that at one point they did consider calling the movie Race Wars, which I wish to God. Yeah. Like, two race, two wars. Oh race Wars God. Tokyo Drift. <laughs> like, they really... I don't know if it would have become what it has become if it were literally called Race Wars. They probably would have, like, quietly euthanized the franchise yeah. in, like, 2008 <laughs> when Obama got elected. But it is incredible. I feel like they would have had to do... Uh, had everything else been the same about the business of the franchise, they would have done what they did to Edge of Tomorrow and just turned whatever the tagline mm -hmm. is and pretended that was the name of the franchise. And just roll with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, after Race Wars. After Race Wars. There's uh, a big, one of the, one of the white kids. That's when we find out that, yes. Like runs away, which is inconsequential, but not. It's, it's mostly inconsequential. <laughs> it's like weirdly, it should be inconsequential, but then they're, they're tussling with the Vietnamese again. Mm-hmm. Um, we discover that Dom is is the one doing the hijackings. Yes. Which they have long suspected. Also, um, Paul becomes entangled with Mia yes. and admits to her that he's a cop for, for very dubiously strategic reasons. reasons. Yeah. 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 Also, and then, okay, so so Paul, having almost got himself in on this heist, he, his job as a cop is to get himself in on the heist um, so that... Uh, the violence between the truckers and the Honda Civics yeah. will not, which really, what in LA? It's a simmering pot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As um, a driver of a Honda Civic, I felt very <laughs> represented by this movie. <laughs> yeah, truckers hate you. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you keep trying to drive under their rig all the time. I, so I just would love to do it one time. Um, and and uh, there's a, a race... Uh, out to the desert. Oddly, also, so then the climax of the movie sort of, well, one of the many climaxes of the movie sort of takes place near Coachella. Yeah. Which is like, I mean, I guess it's like movie and who cares, but <laughs> there is there is a long scene like having admitted to Mia that he's an undercover cop, they go out yeah. to the desert and that's a, even in a souped up car, that's a long hour and a half. That's a long drive. To just sit there with your, you know, a woman you've slept with four or five times, but you are trying to arrest her brother and she hates you. You're in just the zooming. Yeah, she hates you. In the yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're just in your Civic. She's also sitting on top of uh, 
<laughs> like two, two canisters of nitrous oxide <laughs> and also very flammable. You're going through the, I believe, what is probably the speed trap capital of the entire country. Like, there's no way you're just blowing right. through there at 200 miles an hour. Oh man! Anyway, yeah. they catch they catch up no to fast this. Pass. They put so on I, an audiobook to like diffuse really, the yeah. tension. They, they, I would like to. Someone uh, listening to this or me should write the play. That's just the one act play of that drive from, <laughs> <laughs> from East or from uh, Echo Park, from right near where we are right now. And it's like, so you know, consent obtained under uh, false pretenses <laughs> is rape, right? <laughs> um, so they catch up. They catch up uh, yeah. to the the hijacking in progress. Yeah, uh, they uh, the the gang um, the the hijacking is botched uh, because. Weirdly, though, they had stun guns, but guns in the cold open. Mm -hmm. They're not willing to deploy them against the trucker who has a shotgun Shotgun. and is shooting them. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, they rescue the the white dude who didn't like Paul Walker in the beginning. Um, Paul Walker uses his uh, copness, his special Mm -hmm. power of being a cop to call in a rescue helicopter. The gang escapes. Uh, but then it's not over. They go back to... That's how they know he's a cop. Yeah, that's Echo how they Park. discover... Everyone who's not Mia finds out he's a cop by him being like, hey, fellow cop here, yeah. send another uh, yep. to pick right. us up. Yeah, and I guess in my brain, that is where the movie ended. But it doesn't for uh, quite a bit. <laughs> um, we come back to Echo Park where the white kid that ran from the Vietnamese people uh, shows back up at Toretto's house on Kensington, just a mere three quarters of a mile, 30 seconds away from here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we learn that cops, car thieves, uh, whatever, the real enemy is the <laughs> Vietnamese um, <laughs> who shoot up the place. Yep. Uh, for they can find common cause in reasons this one that, thing. Yeah, and then they zip off down the street to, uh, looks like they're going to Ototo, I think. Um they have a, it's like down Actually, they're, it's, rampart, it's right? daytime. It's Cone B. They're going on a Cone B run. <laughs> <laughs> they're getting an $8 croissant. Oh, man. <laughs> what a ripoff that place is. Um, <laughs> it's very good, but come on. Um, wow. Of the my years of podcasting, I think I just said the one thing I've regretted saying it to a mic. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting blacklisted. Yeah. Um, and then uh, they go back. Is it? Is they, that kill, the, they kill the Vietnamese gang. Oh yeah, they kill the Vietnamese. And then there is a, a moment of face to face with yeah. Vin Diesel and Paul Walker somewhere downtown. Are, are they heading over the bridge in a boil? Got to be. Yeah, it's got to be somewhere near there where um, all the where all the and big symbolically are. Vin Diesel is driving the car that oh, yes. he worked on with his dad and yeah. has never wanted to drive because dad stuff. Yeah. So now he's on the run. Tiny, tiny aside for, with that is I did not realize, because uh, I watched obviously Fast Nine most recently, how much of the flashback lore is just fully taken from this movie. Oh, yeah. They're, they're like so devoted to it in a way that is troubling. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, you didn't need none of this. No one remembered any of this shit. Like, what are you talking about? So they, and the movie um, ends with them racing. Racing. Um, and yeah, it, in my head, it was a lot more of an impactful bookend than I remembered it being because it they they had raced once, but it, they didn't impart these like lessons that I thought they <laughs> they did. But uh, 
does they both uh is it it's a photo finish i believe yeah yeah and then like immediately after they finish well they cr- dramatically cross the train tracks as the train yeah. goes yeah. behind them and which is sort an incredible of in, shot they're sort of in the afterglow looking into each other's yeah. eyes and then just immediately vin diesel smacks into a truck and yeah. wrecks his car <laughs> right. it's actually great comedic timing so then uh and then, and then yeah paul walker right early, having lost the race to vin diesel in the earlier in the movie uh, owes him a 10 second car, gives him his car. Uh, point break. This happens in point break too, right? He lets and, he, him go. And, he, and he lets him go. Yeah, lets him go. Yeah. So he gives him the keys to his car because he technically still owes him a car from yeah. the first race at Handy, the beginning yeah. of the movie. So it all comes Dom full is circle. Dom is driving away from his life in LA and Paul Walker is walking away from his life as a as an undercover cop. That that was a fantastic summary. It was... Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> it was actually... I think it needed to be that long to capture because you can, when you skip some of these things, you can't really interpolate them from I, anything else that happened. I will say, I, I thought I had it a little more down, but once I was on the spot, it really... It became... <laughs> this is the same way I write outlines. Is I, always, I think when I write outlines, I'm like, what if an eight-year-old told you what was in uh, their favorite movie? It and, would be enough to recreate and it. And I kind of just did that, including the, oh, and then earlier, <laughs> like, which is so dumb. But thank you. Thank you for letting me do that. Of course. I, I mean, so I, I really want to get into what, uh, what we were talking about a little bit earlier. You alluded to the confusing element about the, the cold open, which is we find out later on uh, when it's revealed that Brian O'Connor is this undercover. Uh, he's not FBI. He's LAPD or whatever the stand-in for the LAPD is. Uh, that millions and millions of dollars of consumer electronics are being <laughs> stolen from the port of uh, of LA. Um, this cold open. It when I again when you watch it back for the first time in a while, Allison, you were watching it for the first time, so I'm interested to hear what that was like, but. In my memory, this was very much a scene where it was like uh, cars surround the big truck. Mm-hmm. They take the things out of the truck somehow. And then when I actually rewatched it, um, that is not what happens. Yeah. They use um, a grappling hook to climb into the front seat. As you said, Andrew, they use a, a stun gun or a tranquilizer <laughs> yeah, a on, on on the on the car that is going like eighty uh, or on the like truck that Moore is going style, like, like eighty eighty what? miles an hour, um, and they steal the whole truck. It is not revealed what happens to the semi truck driver. Um, we just know mm-hmm. that they take the truck, they drive away with their the Civic, and presumably sell the stuff later on. I'm curious to hear what your guys' impression of the heist strategy and also just like the mechanics of how this becomes a multi-million dollar business. <laughs> well, my first, because we open on a shot of the Port of LA, so all my, the first line of my notes just says, supply chain issues. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's so topical. We've all been thinking about ports. But I mean, like, I am not traditionally a car person. Again, I, I drive a Honda Civic, the undoctored 2013 yeah. kind with wow. the rusted out little, roof. Little work. 10 grand under the hood. I mean, I actually, I live in Angelino Heights, so I am around the corner from Toretto's, aka Bob's Market. Mm-hmm. So I could always swing by and see what they have on offer <laughs> for me. But 
I mean, again, it just all comes back to this movie starts so much lower stakes than I, even as someone who has not watched a full-length version of this franchise, like, I've seen trailers, I'm a human being who's alive and has eyes, and just being like, oh, we're just starting with, like, three cars, and there's, like, a very significant non-car element to the heist. Uh Uh-huh. And just being like, oh, that's not... That's not what this becomes at all, mm-hmm. but it starts on a very manageable level. And most of the violence in the movie is not car related, which is something that was kind of surprised. Like, there's yeah, a lot there's of machine like, guns. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's the waterboarding like, with petroleum or whatever uh-huh. that substance was. Oh, yeah. that was. That was really pleasant. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. It is, I, I will say later on in the franchise, through like contorted logic, it's almost always quote-unquote necessary that they're in a car. Mm -hmm. These guys have three guns at least. It just seems like a normal carjacking is much easier. Or, and they also uh, have like a a, a, the dock worker like in their pocket already. None of this makes any logistical sense. I am glad that you brought that up because that was also something that was surprising. That is actually like the first lines of the movie is this stevedore who's taken the containers off of the ship and is then like, this is the truck you want. I just need to make sure that I get my cut. Yeah. So it's a big operation, What if the had the Roger Moore gun? Yeah. Like, couldn't he just have done the whole thing Or just let them take it from from Long Beach. I guess they didn't want to go all the way down to Long Beach. That's that's (laughs) That's fair. The truck driver does provide the service of getting it from Long Beach to near East LA. It's also, it's it's an interesting choice by um, the FBI. They're not even investigating what's happening at the port at all. Right, <laughs> right. just like, we need to embed somebody in this street racing gang right away. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but th- like most of the other later, more insane movies make more sense than this one. <laughs> <laughs> like, I gen- like they're obviously like really reaching, but th- this doesn't make any more sense. And I would have assumed it would be more grounded. But yeah, this is bonkers. I mean, it's because there were... I don't want to say there were no stakes. They spent like $38 million on this. But yeah. it's just so clear that they didn't plan for this to become yeah. what it did. And so when you're trying to bring it back, you're like, oh, we need to justify this. We need to do this. We need to accomplish this thing. And this is like... They read a cool magazine story. Um fascinatingly, that magazine story was in New York and not Mm -hmm. Los Angeles. And then they were like, street racers, that's a great idea. Let's make some kind of movie about that. And that's what this is. And you don't have to do as much planning for that. It's so weird that you can option an article, not use anything from it, (laughs) and still have optioned it for the movie. They they basically like chopped it into a million pieces. They like William Burroughs to the magazine article and just rearranged individual words and were like, this is now a Southern California heist movie. I guess guess that's... uh, It's very weird to me. Anyway. um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the writer later on was like, there was no element of car theft in the article, but that was a thing that I was investigating and trying to get into it and like never worked out how to do it. And they figured out how to do that by Mm -hmm. making stuff up and not being obligated to report the truth. That's the the best. But yeah, it's like, if you're going to make everything up, just save a couple grand on the 
license or you know on, on uh, getting the article in the it's first place. It's probably like why? how life rights aren't real and it's just a like hey don't sue me. Yeah. Like, right. I'm not... It's a preemptive settlement. Yeah. It's like yeah. I'm not gonna yeah. give you like he didn't get real money. He didn't get a cut which would have been worth right. millions upon millions of dollars. He just yeah. got like a one time like hey we want to use this. It Man, any whole number percentage is approaching a billion dollars. They each make a billion it's dollars. It's crazy. Now. <laughs> it's so crazy. Um, so we we first meet Brian O'Connor in this movie immediately after the cold open. So what what happened with that heist? Who knows? Uh, and then we're at the parking lot of Dodger Stadium where uh, Paul Walker's character, Brian O'Connor, is, uh, or as he is pretending to be, Brian Earl Spilner. Uh, very funny line where Vin Diesel says that that sounds like a, a serial killer name. He is absolutely right. It does sound like yeah. It, <laughs> it does and, sound. But not just that. It's like his face, his vibe. <laughs> He's he like, doesn't look like a Brian Spilner. Like if yeah. I just saw some like random schlubby dude on the street who yeah. was like, my name is Brian Spilner, I'd be like, yeah, man, sure. And when I see Paul Walker, <laughs> like that's a Paul Walker. That's not a... Brian, Brian O'Connor is alone in the parking lot of Dodger Stadium driving oh, yeah. uh, and he's getting really frustrated for, you know, he's not doing as well as he wants to do. Um, it was he's interesting like, watching right by back. the the police academy right yes. like that, that was the thing that i was like i was like i saw dodger stadium sort of chavez ravine and i was like is he is it they just i assume weren't allowed to shoot on the police academy track but is this like a deep cut like we well, all you know weren't supposed to know you're not supposed to like know that he's oh, yeah right right that right. he's a cop at this point and it's interesting too because watching back like it, it, there, you know especially knowing what's going to happen at the end of the movie and let alone into the remainder of the franchise, uh, he walks away from his police career at the end of this movie um, and then becomes a fugitive subsequently. But um, it seems from the very first introduction, like he cares way more about racing than oh, right. you would expect for, you know, for it being an undercover thing. Like he is... He has more than a professional interest in this, right? Like, how 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 would you say he's characterized um, from the eyes of somebody who is coming relatively uh, fresh to this, Allison? I mean, I think it's supposed to be part of the bromance. Like, he clearly feels some compulsion to this that eventually, eventually leads him to clearly, like, I'm assuming he is not long for not knowing... <laughs> The yes. rest of the story. I'm assuming he's not long for the LAPD after he literally gives a suspect yeah. uh, his vehicle to escape in. Right. Do you so, want to know the very weird spoiler? Can I do the very, very weird spoiler? Please. Sure. We, we is, don't actually have to come back to this series at all because none of the rest of them are LA. Well, I was, well yeah. Uh, the yeah, he uh, is not dead in the universe. They, what? They literally are like, oh, Brian's. Any minute now, but we got to go. The cops are here. Like, don't worry. We'll, we'll text him to not show up. It's very bizarre. Is it just like they don't want to have Cannon that is, he's sadness retired. in the universe? Yeah. Like, they, I mean, the, uh, uh, the on 7, where, where, where uh, he, died, they, during he the died during the filming, they basically let him ride off into the sunset. Um, using some footage even from this, I think some some oh, face really? shot. Like like I think they composited because yeah. there's a lot of like staring and then looking to your left at the person driving next to you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, so they um they let him drive on off into the sunset and it's like 
Brian and Mia are going to just, you know, live their lives. They're clean now, blah, blah, blah. And that charade is maintained. And I presumably will till the end of the series at this point. So is Jordana Brewster still around? And she's like, she was a kind she's of out side to line. get cigarettes. So, yeah, 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 literally. She's like, oh man, you know, Brian's going to love this. Wait until I tell him over dinner tonight. I mean, yeah, kind of. <laughs> it, it is a lot like that. She, she's more in, she was sort of sidelined in eight, um, but she's more in nine. And it, it's, it's, if I recall, it is a little bit of like, like, well, Brian's staying clean for the kid, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm not letting my brother do this, so I'm back too. <laughs> it's a it is very like I mean I guess they're like they must be genuinely hedging their bets on CG and taste, allowing them to fully just make a computer version of him. They only have one more. They said they only have one. Oh, really? One okay. more installment left. So it, maybe it they just, are just. It just feels like they're going there. It, I hope. I mean, not. they've left it on the table. <laughs> they have left but, it on yeah. the table. Though. I should also mention Jordana Brewster has the most incredible cameo in the other two this season <laughs> that I now appreciate so much more, <laughs> having seen her in the franchise for which she is primarily. I haven't known. seen it. I haven't seen that either. Okay, we have to watch it. Now. I assume she was one of those people that simply did not do any other work besides being in Fast and Furious. She's playing herself. Oh, sure. That's the cameo. Is that like, the joke is that it is literally Jordana Brewster because it's a very meta show. And now I understand much more of the impact of the joke. Yeah. Uh, Jordana Brewster, my childhood film crush, not from this movie, but from the faculty. Oh, sure. As a matter of fact. (laughs) Um. Yeah, no. So, so Brian, I think your uh, statement is correct. He's not being welcomed back to, back into law enforcement uh, with open arms because he doesn't seem like he's really. He doesn't seem like he cares that much about it. Frankly, yeah, the stakes are awfully low about whether this is a struggle for him. <laughs> True, well, because it's so half-hearted the way they even introduce that he's a cop. It's just like, oh yeah, yeah, by the way, this whole thing's been an undercover operation. Yeah. It's very, yeah. And he doesn't seem like that bothered by their threats that he's got to crack this case. You know, it's very, it's, yeah. There's no real, I, I get why they do it because it feels like there's not really much of another way to um, to introduce dramatic tension into the second half of the movie unless it would be like, God, I don't know, like literally just having him and Dominic race each other multiple times yeah. for for well, all the but, glory. But I think that that is that sort of becomes evident when it's like sort of unclear when the or at least to me, it was unclear when the movie was over, based on my memory, because I was like, Oh right, okay, this is Vietnamese folks, sure. Mm-hmm. There's like, okay, still unresolved. The cops are somewhere out there. It's it's very like kind of like not about that. It's just about these two bros. And I guess that's why it works. It is it is definitely a bromance. And um you, you brought up the the you both brought up the article where it's like, okay, we have this um street street racing scene in New York City, which in that article they talk about it uh as originating in Southern California. The the writer of that article, Kenneth Lee, said they took his article and they decided he was, you know, in um, in good humor about it. But he said they took his article and decided to make American Graffiti meets Point Break meets West Side Story. Um, right. Does that seem does that seem like a fair assessment? I would say all those things, but like Point Break is like 
two font sizes larger than yes. the other yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, like, It's literally like, what if we did Point Break, but instead of surfing, we're surfing yeah. the streets of yeah. Los uh-huh. Angeles. Yeah. And that was also kind of like, oh, they clearly weren't planning on this to be a franchise because it's just like yeah. a rip off of another movie. Yeah. It's absolutely just I mean the the point break comparison is is incredibly clean. We just have uh an a, a police agent embedded in a a local subculture as you said point break it's surfing here it's street racing um and the police officer falls so in love with the subculture that he's supposed to be taking apart that he can't bring himself to do it harm or i mean in in especially as embodied by uh in the one case we have Bodie um of course Patrick Swayze in the other case we have uh Vin Diesel's Dominic Toretto i mean the real crazy thing is in the sliding doors universe of us we're not talking about point break 10 where like yes, every right? every crime can be solved with surfboards <laughs> I mean, that's like that scene in um, Escape from L.A. where Kurt Russell yes. is like surfing alongside the PCH like, or on Wilshire or whatever it is. Like that's that's what Point Break 10 would be. But that was actually something that was really shocking to me seeing this movie was like now that it has transcended L.A. and become this global thing. I just think of it as like the car franchise. Right. And this is very specifically about street racing, which is a yeah. very particular substrain of even within car culture. And seeing, like, not only how specifically local it is, but how much it's about, like, a specific thing that happens. And they make a big deal about, like, we have actual street racers here, and that's how we get all the extras for race wars. (laughs) Um, It's very very different, though. Like, it's not, um, you know, it's not setting itself up to be the heist movie, which in later movies is much more, and, like, there's, like, an espionage element, even. Um, but it's not that, and it's not even like there. There are, I mean, I think there's only really one car chase that you could really call uh, the car chase, which is um, the between the trans and and uh, Dom and and Paul Walker at the end of the movie. Oh right, um, yeah. But like, there's not. It's, it is specifically about racing cars and over a quarter mile, as we heard in the tagline. It's these. Uh, and so we keep having the the conversations about 10 second cars and things like that. Um, it's a very, very niche interest and it's meant to be that. And it's meant to be like, look at this thriving underground subculture. Um, and here's all the reasons why O'Connor can't bring himself to ruin it or, or, right. or whatever. But it's kind of like any sport and it, it's really just about the honor of the sport defines Absolutely. their bond rather than the action of the sport. He has a line uh, Paul Walker does early in this movie. Uh, Brian says that well, they're they're at the first race, which takes place, well, they, they meet for it in Skid Row right next to the old American Apparel Factory, um, now The Row, L.A., and yeah. um, <laughs> they... Uh, he says that... Uh, if he if he wins, then he gets Dom's money and also his respect. And they laugh at him um, because nobody thinks he's going to beat him. And he says, "Yeah, respect to some people, it's more important." And that's sort of like an undercurrent mm-hmm. throughout this whole movie um, is just this exchange of respect, culminating with him getting 
the the grudging respect of Dom at the end of the movie when they they have the photo finish that we talked about at the very end. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the row. Can we talk about what an incredible like pre gentrification movie <laughs> yeah. this is? This is literally like in ten years that neighborhood yeah, is not really. going to be that way. Yeah. Now I want to see like a, a last OG style show of Dominic Toretto walking around his stomping grounds in LA. <laughs> like, what the fuck happened here? <laughs> right, what like is specifically going on? Angelino Hyatt's is like every one of those houses is worth like two million dollars. They're yeah. all like beautifully restored old Victorians. Like I live on the like renter side of Angelino Heights. Yeah, I do not sure, live in a single sure. family house. Yeah, yeah. But even just being like, oh yeah, like all the houses have like chain link fences and they're doing like family cookouts outside. Right. right. It's like the 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 transition from chain link to horizontal brown wood is like right? <laughs> is, is imminent and truly imminent. Yes. Like this was 2001, right? It's like 2001. right around the corner. That shit was about to start. Yeah, you have like maybe four or five years before yeah. that. I mean, you get off. charmed and charm just turns Angelino Heights into the <laughs> into the hot spot. I I feel like um, so a, a friend of mine lives on Kensington and revels in I th- uh, revels in basically like right down the street from Toretto's house essentially and just like every time there's a new Fast and Furious movie out or like there's always so many people taking photos in front of it it is kind of amazing that like that block has like now a you know, it's a cornerstone of a global franchise. Right. Like, well, I mean, Angelino Heights has so many amazing that's show true, business that's tie-ins yeah. because there's so many amazing houses, yeah. but it's usually like, yeah, like Charmed. It's like, where where do we get like San a Francisco, big old Victorian, right. the Thriller House, San Francisco, yeah. the Mad Men, the brothel for Mad Men. But, Mad Men. St- but th- I guess what I mean is it's crazy that Toretto's house literally has made the most money of all of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, the shittiest one. They they, they picked, I'm sure, because it was just a cheap location fee, like in 2001. Right, because the, the point is, like, this is not a it's nice nothing. neighborhood. Yeah. It is very much a, like, salt of the earth. Yeah. Everyone is from here. It's and, actually, that, and it's just such a great point. This I, I was looking back or thinking back over the episodes that we've done previously, and there are some other movies that we've done that involve, like, uh, LA local, like LA natives, but mm-hmm. this is the LA nativist movie that we have done so far on this show. It is all about these these families that have been, like you said, in this neighborhood forever. It's it's heavily implied that all of these people in this scene are just uh, and and uh, Brian is like the one mm-hmm. sort of transplant, and everyone is you know ribbing him for and by transplant like they I don't think they get into this in this movie at least but like he could conceivably be from like Encino and they would be like what the fuck are you doing yeah. here oh, that's right because right they look at his undercover ID but that is presumably fake presumably we, yeah. we know nothing and this yeah. is actually an interesting thing about this movie too is that we know nothing about his actual life it's right. never it's never comes back around to like uh, so I mean presumably everything that is beyond his cover is just like uh, a cipher. He's just like some white bread kid. Yeah, and just from the valley. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, this movie centers around uh, at least a, a certain vision of LA locals, people who were born and raised here and uh, and are very, very into racing as a, mm. perhaps as a result of that. I mean, I, I wonder too, like, uh, what, in terms of the racing scene that we get, there's, I think, an interesting, 
and and this is sort of highlighted in the, in the the source article as well. Uh, the the article from from Vibe uh, was that it's a cultural melting pot of sorts. Uh, like mm-hmm. so, like what what if, what is uh, how is racing depicted, and how what are we supposed to make of it? I feel like there's sort of a democratizing element to it when it comes to the fact that it's just like. Oh right, yeah. You can well, make yeah. Your it car. Is just like, you can make your car. You can turn a piece of shit junk car into whatever. Although they're they're very explicit about like when so um, Jamie tries to race the Vietnamese guy, they're like, "There's like a hundred thousand dollars in there. Like you yeah. can't like technically sure. wizard your yeah. way out of this." Yeah. Right, it, but it feels democratizing, but it like almost explicitly isn't. Right, which is weird. It isn't the the race scene or the race culture scenes. Are I think because you know I watched ninety percent of these movies before sixty seventy percent of these movies before I lived in L.A. Um, and the thing that I, in retrospect was very clear was like the thing about L.A. that's like kind of different than other cities is it's like a lot more diverse and a lot more segregated than I kind mm-hmm. of realized. Yeah. And you see it really explicitly in literally it's just blocks of like gangs by race yep. like standing around these cars I also you know it is funny watching this movie specifically after you like myself have become just completely radicalized against cars oh. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know I, I do think you know speaking of it's supposed to be democratic even though it isn't I feel like it's definitely supposed to be embracing the idea of cars as freedom and yes. cars as this liberating thing there is like, there's the American no traffic of it yeah right. in, in this version of LA there's no traffic anywhere at any time of day right and then like when they show them shutting down the street for the street race which by the way they listen in the police scanner and they're like good news everybody somebody got murdered I like that uh, there, there's a sort of optimism of there there is a single murder in Glendale. Therefore, yeah, no cops will come to us. The in entire Hawthorne. LAPD is also, occupied. It's so weird that they that detail is correct, but it's like that's Glendale PD guys. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> but like they they shut down the whole street and they tell the Pizza Hut driver to go elsewhere. And like my instinctive response is just like, oh, like cars taking up more space again. <laughs> but that's not the point of view the movie wants you to have on it. It's that. This is an outlaw culture. Yeah, it's like cars are awesome. It's super fun. One thing that was really interesting rewatching this was, um, I mean, I I sort of alluded to when I said like the white savior of it is like, I think they didn't know who their audience was when they made this movie. And it was to me exemplified by the fact that this movie doesn't realize that one of the icons of Fast and Furious is the sweeping butts shot. Um, at, at the car race, they, this movie didn't realize it was an ass movie, or the franchise was was an ass franchise. Oh, this is not a, an element of Fast and Furious that I was familiar with. It's no, an ass it, franchise. It's, it's, it, like I, I mean, besides this one and maybe two, it's utterly iconic that it's going to be like you you like see uh-huh. the gleaming rows of cars, and then but. going the other way, it's like four hot girls, and it pans just exactly as it pans across the cars, <laughs> it pans across their butts. It's like in every one now. It's like yeah, I, I would say I would say this is a going out top movie more than yeah. it's a butt movie. Yeah. Every, everyone is wearing like a teeny sequined impractical thing on top of a mini skirt. Yeah, but no, but I guess that's what I mean is like I, th- I think they realized which side like their bread was buttered on the. Oh, this really rallies sort of 
every person of color yeah. more than like the white bros that I imagine made up the like what they assumed was going to be their initial oh, audience. Yeah. So yeah, th- there's there's the hard pivot of like, oh no, this is for uh, all the other bros. And and the franchise like, makes a big, um, or I should say, in general, people, uh, the media, and and I assume also the studio make a big deal about this being like the most diverse franchise. And um, and truly, yeah, like they they have uh, a ton of characters, um, particularly in the later movies of color. Tyrese has held on for for movie yeah. after movie in this franchise. Uh, Ludacris keeps coming back, which is great. There are a number of uh, uh, women in powerful roles. I do want to talk, though, about the racial depictions in this movie, which are interesting because it's like it has this very surface-level sort of um, diversity where... Yeah. Uh, you have, as you mentioned, Andrew, people lined up in their racial blocks, basically. You have the the race being called race wars. Um, you you have a very uh, multi-ethnic cast, but also like the stereotyping is also very pronounced. I think it's, I mean, it's, yeah. it's worth trying to remember this particular era. This movie came out in 2001, as we said. It's actually like right in the window between... George Bush gets inaugurated <laughs> and September 11th. It's in that very small it window of so time. It is so wild that this movie survived as a franchise. Like right? everything about it is working against it. Everything. Everything. Like, history. Uh, the and, weight of human history did not want this franchise to exist. <laughs> but like the, the stereotyping is really interesting. Like you have Ja Rule um, presumably only in the movie because he performs the title track which is terrible and was never used it was again. Shocking. The, the music <laughs> yeah, it in was. this movie in general is is just like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, American culture in 2001 was just like the lowest it would ever go. <laughs> John Rule was, I, I want to say, if not the biggest, then certainly like one of the two or three biggest rappers in the country at yeah. the time. And, <laughs> and like new metal was like the number one genre. Like yes. the there were like, there are like four different fusions of rap and rock. On the soundtrack. <laughs> like in this movie. Yes, absolutely. But Ja Rule in the movie uh, plays like a really buffoonish uh, character, yeah. like a caricature. Um, we have already talked a little bit about the trans uh, Johnny and Lance, and they have some very peculiar stereotyping of the Vietnamese characters in this movie. Um, I. What are your guys' thoughts about uh, about the use of race race? as um, stand-in for character, in yeah. this, I suppose I would say. But I think, I think that's... So that's clearly the lesson that they quickly had to learn. I mean, I think... They, they did adapt, I think. Yeah. they. I mean, I think it was they looked at the audience and it, it is that sort of... The, it, the story of Fast, Fast and Furious is sort of like the story of how like representation in Hollywood has like... It's like, okay, it's yes. Like kind of like buffoonish caricatures but you're simply glad to see a face that looks like yours Mm -hmm. and in Fast and Furious they literally just ran the table they're like every United Colors of Benetton option (laughs) like we have it you are on the screen I mean it's extremely of its time like I don't know if you ever planned to do this movie on this show but I rewatched Rush Hour recently and (laughs) oh my god (laughs) kind of an LA movie I mean 
that movie is like a racial catastrophe. Yeah. Like I cannot believe. And that oh, was we'll, like we'll get there. a few yeah. years before this and just being like, oh, like the way race was thought about was yeah. so different then. And in some ways I think it has improved, but yeah. also it, there's something like weirdly uncynical of just like, oh, we're just going to make a movie with like a bunch of different kinds of people in it and like not going to make a big thing about, about it. It's not because everyone's been yelling at us to do this on the internet. Like right. it's just because that's what we're doing. So there's there's something just like weirdly naive about the way this movie handles race that's fascinating. It is, it is interesting. And I, I think that honestly, part of it comes back to like, we, we've been talking about this as like an outlaw subculture or whatever. And I think that, that happens a lot more like when when hollywood is depicting those types of mm-hmm. of subcultures they're like look there's um all types of people are here and it's in its own way a sort of catch-all uh utopia or whatever but um but it's very distinctly different from even like the the sort of racial dynamics that you have in um the the undercover police house like the Hollywood house that they're in where it's just like you have uh, a black cop and you have white cops and that's like it basically um but it it's it happens so often that even though it does it seems like a weird thing to be intentional it does sort of feel that way we we watched uh the DMX vehicle cradle to the grave for this show um and they do the same thing with UFC fighting they have like this underground cage match and it's uh, just like a panoply of of diversity, like right, um, and it just seems like that. That's the, every underground element in in LA gets depicted that way, whereas the above ground uh, places are much more color segregated for for whatever reason. Well, and part of it is a class thing, right? Like these are not supposed to be like wealthy, mm-hmm. affluent people. So yeah. I think there's something also that's like, yeah, these aren't like rich people. So like. If you're a blue collar white person, you're also interacting with like blue collar, like black and Latino and Vietnamese people, yeah. and that's because that's kind of more your peer it gets group. So fudged with how expensive the cars are. It's such a weird. It's thing. wild. Which I think the it's, amounts it's like of, a the class of money versus that are being... income thing. Yeah, where it's like, right, yeah, right. like you can be like lower class but still have access to a ton of money because you are stealing yeah. uh, twenty one thousand dollar TVs from a truck. I would just there is a thing where I'm like, not to give notes to a perfect movie, but like, <laughs> just make them steal high end ambiguous car parts, right? Like it's super, it's shit they know. No one watching it can put a price tag on it. It will not age poorly. The like, consumer electronics the thing is, is, is an interesting element. I I'm can't not sure like about undo that. my knowledge of like what technology will become. And so like yeah. I have completely lost my bearing on like, is that supposed to be fancy? Are we supposed to look at that and be like, oh my God, look at all those fancy TVs. Like, all I'm thinking about is uh, like... You must be, right? But Because now I look at it and I'm like, that's like the TV that sat on my parents' bedside yeah. dresser but for like 14 years. One, <laughs> that wasn't that fucking impressive. Right? Very, like, just thinking players? about like the very niche technology of the era, like um, portable DVD players. Remember yeah. those fucking things where you had a little screen attached to yeah. it? The things that immediately <laughs> would just... Speaking be- of cars, I just remembered the other day. Remember the era of seatback TVs? Oh, yeah. And that oh, yeah. was like the future of entertainment. And travel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's not forget. <laughs> like, speaking of things you can do to your cars, like, <laughs> I what a like, moment that was. was. That, in, that, I, that, that is... A, Seatback TVs, I do. I don't know if they play a pivotal role, but I, th- I seem to remember 
Devin Aoki's car in Fast Too Fast Too Furious had a lot of TVs and shit going on. Hell yeah, it did. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a big, this like 2001 to 2004, the heyday of yeah, the it was like, TV. Like, well, it was like the Pimp, pimp My Ride oh, yep. and like, mm-hmm. just like, yeah, I guess it is that like class versus wealth sort of thing where it's like, you know, it's a place to put money into a thing to show status. And in LA, your car is a bigger part of that than at least Which is something that's also totally alien to me as someone who feels very disengaged from car culture. Is I'm just like, why, why would you spend a lot of money on a car? It's a depreciating asset. It's so easy to break. Like, mm-hmm. why would you do that? And seeing a subculture where it's like, yeah, like that's what you do if you have spare money. You put yeah. it back into your car because you want to, you know, drag race for clout. But the, I mean, Dom is portrayed, as, and this is part of the reason why Brian admires him so much, uh, is that he's portrayed as being like a pillar of his community, which actually, frankly, is often the case with um, uh, with people who are members of of street gangs. And right, that is yeah. not something that gets depicted that way commonly in Hollywood films right. uh, for reasons that will leave to the uh, listener's imagination but um <laughs> but but it is portrayed in a way that it seems relatively true to life he owns two businesses he owns a car garage and yep. also a family store um uh, Jordana Brewster's character Mia says that he is like gravity all he's he's basically like a house mother to all of the right. kids in the neighborhood who have nowhere to go um he makes Jesse, the the kid who has ADD, say grace because he reaches in to grab uh, <laughs> the food too early at the family barbecue. Um, and yeah, so he's he's portrayed as very wholesome when you set aside mm-hmm. the hijacking and kidnapping people and drugging them while they're at the wheel. Yeah, uh, he he's just sort of like a guy who lives by his own honor code which plays into like the overarching masculine i mean th- there's a lot of excessive masculinity in this yeah. movie to the extent that um uh, michelle rodriguez's character letty is asked to um gamble sex during right. the only race that we we see her do um she wins and she tells the guy off and... She's also such a non-entity relative to like what I know she eventually becomes right. in the franchise. She doesn't do much. She this. gets a sex scene with Vin Diesel in the garage. Right. Um, apparently they were dating in real life when they were filming it. So sure. great chemistry, you know, 10 out of 10 chemistry. Good job, guys. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like she's kind of a non-entity. Like Mia's only like marginally larger as a part. But it does feel like a very, like, before we had a word for this, non-toxic masculinity. It's very wholesome. Like, they mostly appreciate each other for the right reasons. They mostly bring out the good in each other. They mostly are not doing a dick measuring contest, except for, I guess that's kind of what street racing is. Yeah. Well, they focus it. It's just like, once once you put all that toxic energy into that one thing... You can be a man finally. Yeah, it's in- it's interesting. I was one of the things that I was not expecting to think about. Although, I mean, um, it it does play into the similarities between this movie and Point Break. Um, but it's it's interesting to me, and I'm not sure if this has really changed in the 20 years since this movie came out. But it's very evident at this point uh, in 2001 that Hollywood has 
no real language for like uh, heterosexual male mutual admiration, right? Which is like at its core kind of the driving uh, force of this movie is the admiration between Dom and and Brian, but it has to be very... um, I don't know what the word is. I mean, it like, I has to be it, cordoned off, it's basically. Like, yeah, we're, like we're uncomfortable with it, so we have to make it about an external thing. Like in this case, how fast you drive. Not even how fast you drive. It's sort of like when you hit the Nas. Right. It's yeah. sort of all that matters. Do gay people ever show up in this franchise? I would highly doubt. I don't know. Is it it, like a Marvel's first gay superhero thing? It feels like, I mean, just like a... In the the background (laughs) of the scene. I feel like... Well, I mean, there are there are women making out in the in this. Uh, yes. but that is, this, that this is a very male gazy okay, yes. version of it. <laughs> very night or very late early two thousands. Very male gazy. Um, I got to imagine. I mean, it is that's like the like sort of guilty pleasure of it is like you just sort of know that all these characters are homophobic, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I'm also, to be clear, not like they they should incorporate queer people to make this truly representative. It's just, it is funny that it is a homosocial movie yeah. that is absolutely not a homoerotic movie. Right. And it it works on that same, um, it works on that same vein as, uh, as does Point Break or as did Point Break like 10 years earlier where it's like, um, there are obligations what we would think of as um like archetypal uh masculine obligations to uphold the law or duty or whatever and what happens when they uh come in people with conflicting values come together and they have this admiration for each other despite that their values are in conflict because they adhere to them so uh rigidly and and they also they haven't hit on the framework for it yet which is Mm -hmm. i know like later the catchphrase of the whole franchise is family yeah and obviously like the concept of family is a part of this movie but it is not as like explicitly driven home as you know it will be later and that's going to be the explanation for like why they all love each other so much even though they're not you know technically in relationships or that kind of thing it's like oh we're all family that's like why this goes beyond just being in a team but they don't have that yet. It's also, it's just so weird being like, I know so many pivotal figures in this franchise are just not here yet. Right. It is, yeah, you're right. But it it is that thing where like they say he's all about family, but it really becomes the actual theme of it. I assume and in Fast and Furious. Like in That sounds right. Yeah, because I think that's when they honed in on that theme. It's like, and, and I think, and then five is where I think they realize it's like, like when you have this type of bromance, like you need camp one way or the other, and they went <laughs> camp superhero camp as opposed to like homoerotic. I, I feel like I, uh, one of the things I was wondering as I was watching this movie uh, today was: Does this movie, did this movie sort of portend or predict in some way the enormous modern superhero franchises or did it just kind of get like swept into becoming 
that. I have to assume the latter. It would be bonkers if this was <laughs> any part of the plan. It it's is, just so weird to have this like sp- the, like there's a sprawling universe of all of these characters who um, who disappear for movies at a time, are called back, die, are found to not be dead. They have amnesia. It's yeah. it is a um, it is a soap opera in the way that all the Marvel movies are soap operas, basically. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that it came upon that so much more organically than Marvel did. <laughs> in that, like, Marvel was always kind of a weird mastermind thing from right, the beginning. Right. And this felt much, feels much more like they sensed the direction of the culture and were like, oh, okay, I guess there's now a way for us to just keep doing this until the end of time. But that's kind of what I mean. It's just like, it's a chameleon. It started as an extremely 2001 movie. And now it's making a series of like extremely 2020 or 2021 movies. And I guess they're just going to keep doing that until the end of time, even though they're technically (laughs) ending it. (laughs) Yeah. They're simply not going to end it. No, they're not. (laughs) I I will say the, the flashback parts, I think were my favorite parts of... Fast Nine, and that does sort of open the window for like a hard turn into like a gritty back to just street racing one. I don't see. I guess they couldn't do it because you can't make a billion dollars doing a movie like that. But I mean, I'm assuming what they're going to do is just like a yeah, they're they're going to do a bunch of spinoffs, one of which will probably be a TV show. Although, like I said, it's in the Universal family, so it's going to be Peacock unless they're stupid, (laughs) which they might be, (laughs) or they like money, so they're just going to sell it to someone else. They're going to do a um, an Edwin and Hector show where it's Jaw Rule's character and the the <laughs> single uh, singular Mexican character in this movie and they're just going to be on the block street racing 20 years later. Just, there's comedy in there. Listen, Ja Rule, <laughs> ja Rule is in a in a trouble spot after Firefest. I'm sure he oh, would do right. anything for the for, money. If, <laughs> if he had held on in this franchise, yeah, Firefest would never do that. Yeah. <laughs> Also, that's a hinge point in history. There are so many sliding doors. I've read through the casting alternates. <laughs> Did you know Vin Diesel was almost Timothy Oliphant? Oliphant? Oh, oh, whoa. Yeah. There's like a version of this where Deadwood never happens because <laughs> Timothy's just like Weird. cranking out sequels. Like Eminem oh was considered for the Paul Walker part. That's just... I mean, Paul Walker does have like kind of the exact level of like blankness to him that I think was a pivotal um, thing about this series was like if if he'd had more like maybe not charisma but more energy right um, they would have tried to make it the Paul Walker movie mm-hmm. and franchise and that would not have worked because I, I don't think that would have brought in again the like bros of color which is like yeah. essentially the the, the, the audience butter for this yeah yeah um, yeah, it, it's it was like to me what it feels like, and this is based on no additional reading, but it feels like they were trying to kind of do like a white saviory kind of thing, and then the white savior sort of got swallowed up by the world, and mm-hmm. then the business minds realized it's the world that makes this like franchise, and yep. they're like, okay, we can just abandon. I, that I guess and- we have to do this now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can just print money. I mean, that's uh, that's fair but, consolation. But also, it like went so because like. Like, Tokyo Drift was supposed to be, like, straight to DVD. Like, mm-hmm. this shit was dead. It was 
really a, a shambling sort of path that it took to get to to where it got to. Like the the main characters basically abandoning it for Too yeah. Fast, Too Furious, apart from Paul Walker, who bef- without this franchise was in very little. Like, And before this yeah. franchise was not a leading man. So this sort of made his career. Um, and it's very easy to imagine them watching as one does, she's all that and varsity blues and say, that's our guy, you right, know? Right, right. Like it's very easy to imagine that happening. I was reading through just some like random letterbox reviews that my friends left before this, and one of them was like, someone should write a book about how the hell this happened because I still don't understand it. And like I'm sure someone will, and it's gonna be a fascinating story, especially right. that pivot from Tokyo Drift to the fourth one. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it it also though is like that that was a little bit why I, I panicked this afternoon and I was like, oh shit, maybe we're supposed to watch Fast and Furious. Because I think that is like the Justin Lin, like when it started to be more like a Marvel-ish, yeah. like, okay, no, here's the plan. And that was like, still a couple of years before Iron Man. I guess, yeah. But like four, yeah. So four is sort of a but just a 06 reboot, is right? also the um Daniel Craig Bond year. Okay, so I yeah. think that's kind of the that's yeah the right because that's when it uh, kind of became Dark a, Knight too, a spy right? yeah. movie. It's when it was gunning for like hundreds of millions of dollars and like it's like the the birth of of the modern conception yeah, of the franchise. Like I, you said, I, the the infinite unbounded franchise. Yeah, no but more it, no more trilogies. Right, that's, right, right. Star out. Wars. Like, give me a fucking. Break. <laughs> let's, let's do something real for once. Let's make some money. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just like I don't know, like like the the like the fact that it, it's like not tethered to anything, or just mm-hmm. like we're just doing this. Yeah, who gives a shit? But then they're so maniacal about the lore. I think is that like like truly the flashbacks in nine, straight up. I was shocked at how straight up they were. And then it's like all the stuff with Tokyo Drift, like it's bonkers but they're really trying to make it consistent with like what has happened right. and it's just like it is very weird to me because it's like why they didn't have to do <laughs> like that. you really don't i don't remember any of this and i've seen all of these opening weekend. it is it is a franchise that is uh yeah it is almost maniacally devoted to its characters and its in-world lore for for not being based on anything yeah but and for no because it you know just in in a very broad stereotype i just feels like your Fast and the Furious super fan is not the same type of person as your Star Wars super fan who would be tracking any of this stuff. It's just like, who gives a shit? I mean, and that works to their favor because yeah, when you yeah. have the uh, tonal shifts in the the Star Wars franchise, like from Return of the Jedi to Phantom Menace, a right. lot of people, a lot of people get really upset about that. Whereas the tonal shifts in Fast and Furious just kind of Everybody just is along for whatever gets yeah. thrown at them. Um, final thoughts about this movie, Allison? You're gonna watch the other the other eight plus think, the spinoff. I think I need to see Fast Five. Also, yeah. I mean, like I'm a Mad Max Fury Road like super fan. I feel like. I need to see what the other big car thing has to offer. (laughs) But yeah, I think I'm glad that I like started on the ground floor because I wouldn't... Because like I know what Fast Five is. Yeah. I'm sure I will be... I'm sure I will really enjoy 
the viewing experience, but I'm not going to be surprised by it the way I was this. Yeah, this is... Well, I mean, I was surprised by it and I've seen all of them. I was just like, oh my God. Like, it is like just... Like, so bizarre to see like what this started from and... Oh, and uh, another... uh, just just thing to just enjoy and savor, uh, Allison, however many you watch is... um, Except for there's a, there's a stretch around seven or eight where clearly like Corona didn't pay them the money they wanted, but really Corona is the third character. In, <laughs> it's Vin Diesel, Los Angeles, Corona, Paul Walker in that order. It's oh like as, far as the most important characters in the movie. Um, but yeah, it was it was like. I because I I'd gotten a little like ah oh, we've gotten away from the Coronas and I really loved how much they loved <laughs> such Corona a, such a good addition to this uh, that that Corona scene. was really underserved by the plot of this movie it really <laughs> well it's an enduring enduring part of the franchise so <laughs> okay I'll keep an eye out Allison Andrew thank you so much for joining me and thank you everybody at home for listening this has been episode twenty five of Thirty Mile Zone and thank you to our pass holders for making it possible. Thank you to Brian Holmes for producing, Matt Tinoco for editing. And we will be back in two weeks with 1984's The Terminator.